Good afternoon and welcome to KZSU 90.1 FM. My name is Jacob Nidig, joined here in studio with my co-host, the one, the only, Zach Saffron, for your final rendition of the Sports Zoo of this school year. It's been quite a ride. Stanford Sports finishing up, for the most part, NBA Finals finishing up as we speak. We're going to do a quick recap of some of those sports, talk about kind of what the sports do has meant to us, and then jump into really just the randomness of what sports has to offer. Zach, how are we doing on this Tuesday, the final sports zoo of the year? We're doing great. I, I can't believe that we have reached this point. It feels like just yesterday joined you in the studio for the first time. So glad that we've come so far i mean for all of our loyal listeners out there you know that we have made some changes introduced guests onto the show had people call in made our way onto podcast platforms oh man it has been a journey and while we will be putting on a pause for the summer uh, we're just getting started absolutely and so zach and i of course for those of you who may be just tuning in for the first time just two undergrads with a love of sports, a love mm. of Stanford, mm. and really a love for hearing our own voices on air and on <laughs> podcasts, just talking about sports, making sure that you are up to date kind of with what's going on around the farm and around the U.S. And I mean, what better way to kind of finish that out than talking about one of the most surprising programs, the Stanford softball team, who unfortunately just concluded their run in Oklahoma City, but put together a season really for for the ages, one that will go down in Stanford softball history. Yeah, and I mean, it it it, it was a David versus Goliath battle when it came down to it. As we spoke about playing number one Oklahoma, a team that has put on one of, if not the greatest, campaigns in college softball history, and there Stanford was at the top of the ninth, tied two to two. In extra innings, I mean, what a fight, what a battle for a program that has just continued to outperform expectations, continued to do what people doubted they would be able to, found themselves out there competing in a fashion that is just nothing short of admirable. No, absolutely. And this Oklahoma team, I mean, really one of the best teams in all of college sports, looking to win their third title in a row. The win against Stanford pushed them to a 51-game win streak. And so Stanford, you know, just gets unlucky there. Sometimes you run into a team like that. But the thing is, this season really brought so much energy around the program, a program that built off their end-of-year success last year, brought in the freshman ace who was so dominant. She really showed the entire softball world that she's a force to be reckoned with. In, in the next years to come. Yeah, and, and just the old passing on the torch to the new. Not to call anyone old, but you know we've had some seasoned vets out there. Obviously, the name that comes to mind when you think of Stanford softball is Alana Vodder. She just continued to put an exclamation point on an already amazing career. And then coming out of nowhere, Najari Kennedy putting on maybe the greatest freshman performance across any sports, you know, the type of newcomer performance that you remember for ages, a rookie of the year performance that is spoken about for years. She was quite honestly, I think one of the driving forces, if not the driving force behind this 
I mean, would we call it a Cinderella run? Because uh, it was just so remarkable. And, and it, it really is a bummer we're on the same side as Oklahoma. This is the bracket, you know, just one game away from the championship. They'll be playing Florida State, who, quite honestly, you know, did, did some damage to Oklahoma State. I mean, of course, you could play the hypotheticals. What would happen if Stanford ended up playing Oklahoma in the finals? What would happen if they had an extra game? What would happen if there was an extra boost of energy? Nonetheless, just just uh, something that is uh, to commend time and time again. No, absolutely. And so just to put it in historical context, they finished this year with a 47-15 and 15 record, which was their best record since 2009. They compiled a 21-game win streak from the months of February to March, which was the second longest in season history. They were in the top 10 and went as high as number 5, swept through the NCAA regionals in its first hosting opportunity in 12 years, and then won on the road. So I think not only was this team good this year, but just looking at what Stanford softball has meant in the last 5, 10 15 years even it's been a while since the team has had this much success and it's fun for everyone around Stanford and Stanford athletics when this team is good and whenever a team that struggled is able to put on such a memorable season so 47 and 15 in the books but you say goodbye to Taylor Gindelsberger Emily Schultz Sydney Steele and Emily Young as long as Tatum Boyd and Gabby Peters just a class that had remarkable success, especially in the postseason. Like we've talked about these last years, that super regional last year, that was a huge surprise. And obviously making it to the semis this year. What direction do we anticipate this team will go now? We've spoken about the passing of the torch. We've spoken about the firepower and deep benches that Stanford softball seems to have. But are we going to be having a similar conversation a year from now? You know, I, I think with an ace... Like candidate, anything truly is possible. But offensively, this team will definitely, I think, struggle and, and will have to fill a lot of different spaces. The outfield, especially, and the middle infield. Gindelsberger, the leader of Cardinal triples in school history, has been in center field and been absolutely superb. Emily Young, meanwhile, Emily Schultz and Sydney Steele all starters in the infield steel over at third Schultz at first and young playing at short so defensively they're gonna have to replace and then all of them have been like very very successful in terms of general batting and kind of what it means so I think it will be on some of these younger players to really step up trying to see like Kylie Chung someone that could be Danny Hayes another player, those are the people that are going to have to step up and and kind of take the jumps that some of the baseball players like Alberto Rios, for example, have, have made this year. Yeah, and so pitching seems to be something that will remain in that bracket line. Infielding, a, a, a question mark. You are so much more well-versed in sports out there on the diamond than I am. How do you compare the value of a great infield versus a great outfield. Yeah, you know, in softball especially, I think it's it's quite different than baseball for a few different reasons. One, because pitching 
influences those two things so much. Whether you're having a ground ball pitcher, a strikeout pitcher, or a pitcher that induces a lot of batters that will fly under it is going to play a huge difference. And with softball, Canada can pitch every game. The, there is no limiting factor like in baseball where you've got to give the guys four or five days rest. That underhand motion will allow her to go every game. And so I think in terms of which is more important, given her play style, infield's got to be way more important. Mm-hmm. She's getting people way out onto their front foot, getting them to roll over and hit some weak grounders to various infield spots. And so I think that infield position and, and being able to secure those outs are going to be are really the most important. But even the outfield has, has been is so important. Gindelsberger saving runs by making some throws, diving catches. So I would definitely say the infield is more important given kind of the way that, that she pitches and everything. But as a whole, you you need both undoubtedly. 100%. But, you know, that infield, a question for Stanford softball, a question that may only be answered until next year. Of course, there is one other Stanford team on the dirt that is still alive. Stanford baseball backs against the wall. It doesn't matter. Winning their region. They're going to be super regional bound after a bout with Texas A&M. Jacob, I know you were watching that one with a close eye. You want to recap that? Those last few games for our listeners out there? Absolutely. I mean, what a series. This is really what makes baseball so special. People, The game is slow. The game has such little action on a given moment. The games take so long. But what happened at Kleinfeld since Friday afternoon, whenever this regional got kicked off, was purely magical. Stanford starts it off relatively easy walk in the park. Wins quite handily against San Jose State. They move on to play A&M and lose, which puts them into the loser's bracket. A&M is sitting, waiting the winner, and Stanford now has to win Sunday at noon and then come back and beat A&M back-to-back, and they do just that. They win at 12 on Sunday. They win at 6 p.m. on Sunday, and then last night they won yet again to secure their trip to the Super Regionals. And, I mean, quite honestly, there was not really a moment in the last four games, especially early on in those games, where Stanford fans could really breathe because if you lose, your season is over. And the way Cardinal Pitching wanted to give up home runs, (laughs) there was never a, a moment where it was the game was too far out of reach. But to be able to come back, lose to A&M on Saturday and then beat them back-to-back on Sunday and Monday is phenomenal. We can dive more into each of those games, but as a whole, it it takes a really special group of people around the entire program, coaches, players, staff, fans, everyone involved, to be able to face elimination and and win three games back-to-back-to-back. And so, as you mentioned, those back-to-back-to-back wins all elimination games that is 3-0 in elimination games this postseason last year they went 5-0 in elimination games so maybe this is a team that just needs a little chip on their shoulder but it gets a little crazier how about all time 
postseason games, winner take all, played at Sunken Diamond. You know what Stanford's record is? Hit me with it. What do we got? Not one. Not two. And I'm going to save you a whole lot of time. They are 11 and 0. <laughs> yeah, we would have been here all day. <laughs> 11 and 0 in winner take all postseason games at Sunken Diamond. Good news for them that their seating is going to allow them to stay here. And, you know, their next matchup, I'm curious where your loyalties lie as the Longhorns come to Sunken Diamond. For those listeners out there that are unaware, which I don't know how you're unaware, you know, Jacob, a hook'em Longhorns guy, but we'll see if that remains true next time uh, for Stanford baseball. You know, I've been a lifelong Longhorn fan since, since, I mean, there's photos of me less than a year old in burnt orange and my love for Stanford rivals that it's, it's a newfound love just four years old, which in the grand scheme of 23 doesn't feel like that much, but you know, 23 years of love, it's a wonderful thing. All our old married couples out there can, can speak to it. It feels like. <laughs> Texas and I just know each other so well. So whenever Stanford eventually clinched, my heart was immediately torn in two. I, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do. If there was a way that, that both teams could advance, I would love that. I don't know if I'm going to do a Stanford on on Saturday, UT Sunday, and then pick Monday, or if I'm going to do a split jersey <laughs> or what. But definitely, you know going to be a really fun series it's just you know they kind of threw me a little bit of an alley-oop by giving me A&M a school I've grown up hating as much <laughs> as I love Texas and so it was easy to root against them but now heart is is in between a, a rock and a hard place well you know Cardinal Red looks a whole lot better than whatever you call that burnt orange <laughs> um, but so 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 a series with Texas on the line but if this regional showed us anything, pitching, man, is is still somewhat of a question mark. I mean, we got some great, great innings out of Quinn Matthews, but as we've talked about all season long, who is that number two guy? Is that the biggest barrier to victory you see in this next series? Absolutely. I mean, the this is the Stanford offense is a juggernaut. They can get hot at any given moment, one through nine. Who is going to step up besides Quinn Matthews remains to be seen. Nick Dugan on Sunday pitched in two separate games. He went seven and a third inning, really saved the season for Stanford in relief in both of those games. Showed tremendous poise. Maybe he's someone. Drew Dowd, the lefty, also came in in some huge moments. But then other people like Ty Uber, Matt Scott, even, you know, Brett Panzer didn't look that great at various points so it's going to be a matter of whether someone outside of Quinn Matthews can go especially because Texas has two very dominant arms and Lucas Gordon their Friday starter and then LeBaron Johnson who threw a complete game winner against Miami so Stanford pitching is going to have to to step up to the challenge this upcoming weekend 100% it just just seems like the topic of discussion you know week in and week out but on the other end oh my god this is just why I love love Stanford baseball those bats man they were firing and Malcolm Moore of course Tommy Troy who 
walked away with MVP. Even Braden Montgomery making making headlines again finally. And Eddie Park, oh my gosh, how, how are you going to on pitch number two just hit it out the park? Out of the big bats that are swinging, is is there a guy that you just think this team can really rely on? Troy, obviously the guy that comes to mind with the way he has been batting. 571 in the regional, just unreal. But, you know, is there someone else you're looking at? Is there someone you're particularly worried about? Yeah, I mean, definitely two points of worry, I think, for me. I mean, yeah, the guys that, that you just mentioned going to be extremely tough outs. Eddie Park, so just fascinating to watch as a batter. Such good command of the strike zone. Brady Montgomery showing his power, and Tommy Troy did what he's done all year. Two players that I think will be interesting to watch. One is more of a position battle now, which is that with Owen Cobb. Cobb, the everyday starter at shortstop, got pulled or benched or injured something in in game four. Did not start in the last two games against AM. So Timo Becerra came in, who is equally athletic, but a much less experienced batter and a little bit less skilled. And then we also saw a beginning of somewhat of a lessy a lesser performance for Alberto Rios. Rios still, you know, very dangerous and overall had a had a good weekend, but his average dropped from well over 400 to now down into the upper 380s. Again, no small feat to be that high, but we need Alberto Rios to be red hot if if the Cardinal want a chance to beat Texas. And so I think keeping an eye on those two players, Owen Cobb and Alberto Rios, and kind of how they perform and kind of whether they have their mojo will be really interesting. It looked like Rios never lost confidence, just wasn't getting hits to fall, but Cobb obviously getting pulled. You never know what that's going to do to a player's psyche. Certainly, and it, it, it's, it's I think, just a testament to the kind of year Rios has had. I mean, we're talking about him having underwhelming performance, but he did, in fact, have a hit in every game during the regional. Just no remarkable performance, per se. And then, I mean, it's just, you know, we are out here commenting on the fact, hey, He's not up to par with what he's capable of doing. He's not up to par with the precedent he's set. Um, but he's still out there balling. And and Alberto, uh, a huge reason this team is in the place uh, that it is. But obviously, a guy that fans, coaches, spectators alike are banking on will step up and, and really show up big, especially at the stage of the season we're at now. No, absolutely. And it feels crazy to say, like, yeah, he struggled because, as you mentioned, he had a hit in all of those games, even had a home run in the first game. But, you know, what he's done this year has, I don't know, I've just grown so used to multiple extra base hits every game. And the thing is, though, with Rios, I mean, for those of you that were close enough to the game or maybe saw on TV, he is a leader on this team. He's someone that's pumped up. When other guys are getting hits and scoring, he's one of the first guys out of the dugout. And and that, I think, is equally valuable to what he does on the field, keeping the energy up and making sure that other people are playing with the same intensity that he does is, is definitely one of the huge strengths that he brings to this team besides the the outfield glove and, obviously, the power and, and hitting prowess. Absolutely. So 
play a little hypothetical here, Jacob. Game one goes south at Sunken Diamond. Team again finds its back against the wall. Seemingly loves to do that, though. Are you worried about dropping a game, especially to a powerhouse like Texas, who quite honestly has had a great year um, against some pretty good competition, especially relative to the Pac-12 team Stanford has seen? I think there's reason to be optimistic at any point with this Stanford roster. You see in the game against AM, they dropped seven runs in one inning and blow the game open. That same thing can happen at any given moment. This offense can piece together hits with nobody on, with one out, and arguably is even better with two outs. And so I think if they drop game one, even if they're down in game two, this offense can put up runs very quickly. The problem, as we've touched on over and over again, is whether they can score, whether they can score enough runs to to overpower some of the pitching errors. And it feels like double digits is what's required for this team to win and be confident that they can win. So Stanford is never out offensively. It's just a matter of whether their pitching can can keep them close enough that when the bats get hot, they don't have to put up a ridiculous amount of runs. Certainly. And so title hopes on the line. We're not going to get a chance to discuss on the sports zoo until we are well removed from this postseason. Will Stanford be in Omaha? And I suppose the more important question is, will Stanford once again be hoisting that national trophy? I think there's a very real scenario where that where that definitely happens. Stanford, the offense is way too powerful to ever count them out, but they're going to have a very, very tough really just path to do that this texas team upsets miami in the in in florida this past weekend they're playing with kind of that swagger that it it feels like some of the underdogs are playing with this was a team that started out the year it was supposed to be rebuilding they struggled early ended up winning the big 12 conference losing very early in the big 12 tournament similar to stanford and then comes out back with that swagger in the miami regional so if Stanford can get past them, that would be a huge sign, but there's still so many high-quality teams. I mean, Wake Forest advances. They're the number one overall seed. Florida's still there. Virginia, the number seven seed. LSU still in there. TCU, a team that eliminated Arkansas in the Fayetteville Regional. That's a team that I don't think really many people expected to, to do that the way they did. And then you've got someone like Indiana State who, I mean, I've never even heard of Indiana, <laughs> the Indiana State Sycamores, much less. And that where Larry Bird went to college. I, I, maybe question mark. Um, do we have Do we have an answer on that? He played at Indiana State University. There yes, you he go. Did. So Larry Bird was a Sycamore. <laughs> but either way, there's just a lot of teams that are very talented and have played well the whole year. And there's another stable of teams that have been flying under the radar, but. They have that moxie when they're walking up to the plate. Their pitchers are showing that intensity. So the step to getting to Omaha is definitely very, very doable. Winning the trophy and kind of surviving the gauntlet of of what happens at TD Ameritrade Park is a whole other question. But like I keep saying, this offense is is strong enough to to, to go all the way. 
but totally that that uh is a whole different monster once you're out there um you know you just touched up on a lot of teams but out of the field who is it that intrigues you most who is it that we should be talking about i know you said hey we're not talking about TCU as much as we should be you've got teams like Wake Forest that have been atop the polls all year long who is it that perhaps should be on the radar for listeners out there ready to watch the College World Series ready to hop on the right bandwagon so they can brag to their friends they were two weeks ahead of the curve yeah I mean Wake Forest kind of the obvious answer here number one overall seed and they plowed through their regional they won 12-0 21-6 and 15 to one, oh so God. yeah, that I mean that is a ridiculous margin. There, football numbers forty-seven to seven overall over three games is is absolutely ridiculous. That's a team that I think really could, you know, be somewhat interesting and and could definitely, you know, cause some trouble. I think another there's two other supers that I'm really intrigued by. That's the LSU Kentucky regional. Both of those teams coming out of the SEC. LSU, you know, gets it done overall. They end up beating Oregon State twice. That's a team that that could get really hot. And then Kentucky actually came back all the way down from the losers bracket. They lost in in against Indiana, similar to how Stanford lost. They fought all the way back to win their regional. So that's a series that could really bring a team in with a lot of confidence. And then the other series that I think is, is going to be fun is going to be Indiana State and TCU. Totally. Indiana State just kind of coming out of nowhere. They host win in three straight, kind of take care of business there. And then TCU uh, absolutely dominates Arkansas. I mean, in two in games against Arkansas, they win 20-5, to 12-4 after already beating Arizona 12-4. So... That TCU team put a lot of people on notice. So I think those two super regionals are going to be really fun to watch. And whichever team comes out of those two regionals is going to be playing with the confidence that that winning a national championship requires. And, you know, this is a program that has been in Omaha before, filled, filled with players that have been with Omaha before, led by David Asker, who's been out there. Who do you think will be the guy that if they find themselves hoisting that trophy is the reason Stanford has won that title? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick one, but someone we haven't talked about enough, really a handful of guys, I would say. I'll give you three. I think Carter Graham is going to be very responsible for that. Batting third in the lineup, He's going to have to come up at, in clutch moments. Tommy Troy and Eddie Park find ways on. He's going to have to advance them. And then behind him, you've got Brandon Montgomery, who has been superb and someone who just found his control. He pitched very, very well against AM in kind of a do-or-die situation. So I think he's another player. Both of those guys, you know, upperclassmen that have been there before and know. And then I think Malcolm Moore is kind of a dark horse candidate for someone that could propel this team, so much power, so much confidence, and, and has kind of the tool kit to be successful in, in Omaha or in this next series. So I think Malcolm Moore, Carter Graham, and Braden Montgomery are three that I think 
people will kind of forget about because of the the Quinn Matthews, the Alberto Rios, and the Tommy Troys on this team. I love it. I love it. I've three studs, but obviously a star-studded roster. A whole lot to be um, excited for. So for all our baseball fans out there, a quick breather from all the action we've had. But action returns Saturday, June 10th, 3 p.m., Cardinal versus Longhorns against none other than your Stanford Cardinals. So on the call is actually KZSU's own Donnie Raymond and Tyler Snyder. Be sure to tune in 3 p.m., KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Absolutely. And the, the other games also will be on KZSU. I'll be on the Sunday call. So if you like what you hear on, on this show and want a little live action, I'll be on the call with, with Donnie on Sunday too. So tune in for, for what hopefully will be some fun baseball on the farm. Be sure to tune in. That's KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. And with that, Let's go ahead and kind of pivot gears now. In our final 30 minutes, Zach and I, folks, have had a ton of fun doing this show, both together and just kind of sharing our love for sports with you. So we're just going to do a little year recap and and really break it down personally about some of the moments this past school year and really this past 12 months have been so special for us. So I'll start it over to you, Zach. End of the year, what either let's go with what team mm. deserves Stanford team of the year and why? Stanford team of the year. Um and, and just before we we preface this, folks, as always, we're just two undergrads here. <laughs> we're, we're biased by that random athlete in our, our math class that, you know took our chair or the the other athlete on another team that gave us a pencil <laughs> this is completely biased and and based a little bit in fact but also just based on our personal opinion so if you disagree feel free to leave a comment on the instagram the twitter call in we're just having fun with it so zach stanford team of the year what do you got for us I mean, speak for yourself on this these biases you know you're speaking of but uh you know i, I think uh previously i've been a very outspoken supporter of the Stanford women's golf team. Last time we were on the show, they were looking pretty good in the semis, you know, uh, geared to play USC. I said I was confident they'd win a national championship. You called me out for jinxing them, and jinxed them I did. So I was ready to talk about them, but honestly, you know, in my head, I think there's no question about it. Stanford men's gymnastics has got to be the team of the year. Don't even confine it to team of the year. Give it team of the last two years, team of the last three years, team of the last half decade. It is a sport that requires so, so much more appreciation than it receives now. I mean, you're talking about the back-to-back-to-back-to-back national champions. That's crazy to do. The season they had, win after win, first place after first place, the only even remote disappointment I could think of was a second place finish in a meet at Oklahoma and with William and Mary. But outside of that, you have guys competing in worlds for, for team USA. You have people winning all American titles in like every single category. This is a team. This is a program. It is a roster full of stars 
And that is why Stanford men's gymnastics, it's got to be no-brainer team of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's hard it's hard to compete with, with that answer. Back-to-back-to-back <laughs> to back to back national championships. Also, I mean, there's five gymnasts that live in the same house as I do. Great guys. They're fun to be around. They get their stuff done. They train hard, but they're active in the community. They're, they do the things that are required of everyday students. And, and they're really just great people. So, I, I mean, I personally love that answer. I think another team that I, I am also going to give a shout out to is maybe my potential runner up or another team is the women's water polo team. Mm. And, and really just for the same reason. I mean, this team so dominant the entire year. But not just this year. This is a team that, I mean, did it again. They win the 2023 National Championship against USC 11-9. And yet, this is not any new place for them. They've been in every NCAA championship. They've had nine overall. And they had their last one. They had another one last year. So going back to back, that to me is, is a team that, has an edge over the competition and kept that edge this year and and took care of business, which is so hard to do. Yeah, and and, and in the grand scheme of things, I I don't know how we don't talk about this more enough. As you said, back-to-back national championships, 2022-2023. You go back to 2021, you know, maybe not the result they were looking for. No tournament in 2020, but Jacob... You would have to go back to 2009 for the time, the last time Stanford was not in the NCAA championship, in the final. You're talking about a team that either won the title or was runner-up from 2010 all the way to 2023 with exception of one year. That is just unreal. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it, well, in 2009, I think I was in kindergarten. Yeah, you're showing your youth. You're, I was <laughs> in like third grade. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking 2009. Oh, my gosh. There's, you could talk about, I don't know, Obama's term, you know, him taking office in January of that year. That it feels like centuries ago. And you're talking about sustained greatness from this Stanford program. What a great choice for team and program of the year. No, absolutely. Now, what about some either individual performances, both season long or in a particular game? I'm going to go ahead and set a limitation here. No Roseanne. No, yeah. no Roseanne. I mean, folks, she just won her, her pro debut. Unreal. First person to do that since 1951. We are witnessing one of the greatest golfers in the history of golf, men or women's. People are comparing her to Tiger Woods. Finally, we've been saying that on the show and around the farm for going on a year now. But besides Rose Zhang, which individuals, either you know, a, a round two in the NCAA tournament, a big, a big shot or just a great season, what individual performance stands out to you? Um, You know, I'm going to be digging. I'm going to be digging 
for this one here. We're going to go back to the fall. We're going to be talking about a person who, honestly, not only Stanford fans, not only cross-country fans, but I think uh, maybe some people active on social media, if you've seen his Instagram, if you've seen his YouTube, I'm talking about Charles Hicks, a cross-country stud who was the NCAA individual cross-country champion this year. I mean, I just have to, he's got to be my, that's got to be my performance of the year. You're talking about a sport where as an individual athlete, you're going up against teams of huge quantities of players on each roster, huge quantities of schools competing in these events. I mean, Charles Hicks, a borderline uh, no-brainer on this one, an all-time performance, Stanford cross-country track and field, already a great program, and yet he is at the tippy-top of that. Yeah, I mean, cross-country is a sport that's so difficult that that doesn't get any love, and to be able to do that, I mean, that race, I was able to watch pits of it via drone footage, so fun, and, and like, just watching him run, watching the strategy, and also the story of, of some of the other runners on that team and how they push each other is so fascinating. It's, it's, it's I, I mean, I think I walked up the stairs the other day. Um, I got lightheaded, out of breath, and you want me to run a 10K at a pace that I don't know I could sustain for more than five seconds. That's just, it, 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 it puts things in perspective, and he's a, he's a guy that... Um, you know, is is not only a great athlete, great great character. Absolutely. For me, gonna keep it in kind of another cardio esque sport. And I'm gonna actually go with, with joint performances here. And I'm gonna go with on the women's swimming team, Claire Curzon and Tori Husk. Mm, mm-hmm. Two people that so decorated. I mean, Tori Husk, twenty twenty Olympian in the 100-meter fly, the 4 by one mixed, and the 4 by one medley. Won a literal silver medalist. Also was really nice and helped me out in stat 60 <laughs> quite a bit this past year. So she's someone that I think was really just great um, and, and was recognized by the Pac-12 with that. Took home Women's Swimmer of the Year. And then Claire Curzan, another freshman who has been to the Olympics, has been at the peak of swimming. She takes home women's freshman of the year. So I think those are are people that I have really thought put up some crazy individual performances, especially given that they're a freshman and a sophomore now. Totally, totally. Um, Tori Husk, someone that came to mind for me. Um, so, so a huge, huge shout out. Uh, to yet another Stanford individual performer that not only competes at the collegiate level, but represents the Stanford Cardinal at that global stage. Yeah, I mean, she still is the current American record holder in two separate events, folks. The 100 butterfly and the LC 50 meter butterfly. She She's a ridiculous swimmer and showed that literally just this year but continues to show that every time she she jumps in the pool so we've spoken about great teams we've spoken about great athletes when you combine those two it's inevitable that you get some great great moments 
on the farm with so many great teams, so many opportunities. Jacob, I'm curious. We've had a full academic year of sports, so much to choose from. What are the standout moments or performances that you think have defined the last 12 months? Yeah, I mean, quick one, I would say, that, that kind of leads into this. Definitely some of the the turmoil on the football mm. program kind of highlights the last few years. I mean, new head coach, that is definitely something that is will will highlight kind of my football experience. And I think one of the greatest performances I saw, and this might get this might be unorthodox, but against Arizona State. Oh what? We win fifteen to fourteen. <laughs> what? And one of the craziest, most boring games I have ever seen, but a game that I will never forget. Josh Cardi, five field goals is enough to beat Arizona State in what was one of the ugliest football games in the Pac-12. Was that the best performance? Absolutely not. But was it the most memorable performance that comes to mind right now? 100%. That that was a game that I think was so bad. It, it just <laughs> was so good. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, I, you're going to hear my answer... And despite me thinking this, I I still can't believe I think that you're crazy for choosing that moment. Yeah. Because my mind went to the Stanford upset at Notre Dame. <laughs> I, I, for those of you that don't remember, you know, another thrilling 16-14 to 14 victory out there in South Bend where, again, three Joshua Cardi field goals led the Cardinal to victory, uh, including the go-ahead uh, field goal with 10 minutes left in the game, which would be the final score from both sides. Um, oh, man. You know, you know. I, I think it's funny that we both... Uh, yeah, wait, there, there, <laughs> there's something magical about those games that you, you, quit, you can't quite understand unless you've been a Stanford football fan for the last few years. But no, I, absolutely. that Those were two games. I mean, on the flip side of that, some, some games that I think were really memorable in kind of the other direction, I think, <laughs> like, some of the Stanford volleyball games mm, mm-hmm. were just so fun, just because of how dominant they were. I think, you know, mainly, a lot of those we ended up watching on TV. I had to watch on TV, but that game against Houston, they ended up winning 3-0. That was such a fun game, and, and it kind of preceded some dominance where they had beaten Pepperdine, they beat LSU, but those performances, they were so far, so far better than those teams that, I mean, watching Kendall Kip spike the ball over and over again was just, will always stick out in my mind. Look, if you've never been to a Stanford volleyball game, do yourself a favor, get out there to Maples Pavilion, Ford Center, whatever, wherever they're playing and go watch yourself a game because that is men's or women's one of the most entertaining um, sports that you can watch here on the farm. No, absolutely. One, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the basketball team. I mean, thought about it. Thought about it. And that, you know those what? Are, those are pretty. Me- there was some memorable games in there. Uh, upset over number four Arizona uh, certainly comes to mind. But but uh, let me let me put into perspective my Notre Dame answer. Um, it's mid October. I believe it was like October fifteenth, maybe. Uh, just a, a team is at its lowest low. Um, 
It had been over a calendar year since Stanford won a Power Five matchup. I mean, and and and, and after losing to a team like Oregon State on like a hail mary just blip, you know, it seems like all confidence was out the window. And then they turn around and go on the road to a team that was formerly ranked in the top five in the country. I, I that's why I have that moment up there. No, absolutely. And so with that, we're gonna do a quick switch up real quick as we have once again the voice of Stanford baseball someone who's been on the show before someone who loves the program none other than Carson Trail Carson can you hear us yep coming through loud and clear awesome welcome to the sports zoo for those of you who don't remember Carson Trail the voice of Stanford baseball Carson Stanford gets it done, comes back against A&M. What were some of the takeaways you had from this past weekend? Well, it's not just that they won, it's how they did it. They got up all the way through the loser's bracket, and they had some outstanding displays of pitching depth, and that's really one of the stronger indicators of how a team is going to do, not just in the regionals, but in the super regionals and beyond. So when you look at how you know Stanford came about, just kind of their, their, their victories, Compared to previous years, like in 2021, they got a couple of big innings in Game 7 and barely staved off a very talented UC Irvine team until the very end. And then in 2022, they were down to their last, their final three outs when they tied the game against Texas State. So when you talk about Texas A&M, where their offense comes out and, and, and dominates in game, game 6, technically, and then the bullpen comes out and holds uh, an act, a very talented Aggies offense to one run in Game Seven. To me, that is a very, you know, it's a very well-rounded show of force, and I think that that is a, a very good sign if you're starting to think about super regionals and possibly even a little bit after that. Absolutely, Carson, and, and so I mean, let's just jump straight into the super regional preview. Texas coming to town, just beat Miami, upset the regional down south in Florida. What's most scary about this Texas team? Well, I think, you know, they, they are used to winning. They are not used to losing. I think that that is a, a better indicator of how a team is going to do, almost more so than where they're seated, and even with how much, you know, the level of talent that's on their roster. Multiple times we've seen teams, you know, Ole Miss last year, um, and now possibly in NC State the year before that, possibly even Texas this year, teams that you know, kind of see themselves that have been there before and see, that see themselves in, you know, in the playoffs competing for the, in the national title race. Those are the teams that are, are really scary. You know, of course, Texas has, you know, Tanner Witt, Lucas Gordon, a uh, uh, couple of very talented frontline arms now that they've been healthy. Uh, the Longhorns have been doing very, very well as of late. And, of course, they, you know, went out in the, uh, the Coral Gables Regional. And I think that, you know, they, they are expecting to win this super regional on the road against Stanford. And Stanford has to be ready for that. Like, if, if they come in expecting a team, you know, them, them to perform, even like UConn last year, uh, they're in for a very rude awakening. Certainly. I mean, Texas, a, a high-power, all-around great program uh, that is perhaps a level or two above the Pac-12 programs that Stanford has seen all year. Like you said, high expectations for the Longhorns, um, but... 
for you as someone who is so well-versed with Stanford baseball, we know what they're capable of. We've also seen perhaps some shortcomings. Um, we're big on predictions in this show, Carson. We'd love to hear your takes. I mean, what goes down in this Super Regional? Well, I think you're going to be able to tell based off the kind of game that they get. I do think that it's going to be the discordant against Joey Dixon in game one on Saturday. Of course, you know, it's not a, it's a Friday, it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday competition instead of uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that does um, a lot of favors for the Cardinal in that Quinn Askins gets an extra day of rest. Joey Dixon gets to kind of pitch according to that seven-day rotation. And, you know, everybody's just one, one day's worth of recovery sharper. Um, and I think that, you know, that will play a huge role for, for Dixon, especially in game one. And then I do anticipate uh, Quinn Matthews possibly going for game two. Or they could try to piece things together with their bullpen the way they did uh, against Fullerton and then Anm twice against Elimination um, in the regionals. So I do think that the only, the only arm that is kind of written in stone to be seen this weekend for Stanford uh, in terms of kind of, you know, when we'll see him, it's going to be Joey Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's been at his best when it's mattered most. He's figured it out over the course of the year. His stuff's gotten better. And now he's starting to get some results. So if they're in a spot where you know, he can pitch efficiently and give them, you know, maybe six, you know, six quality innings, three runs or less, then I think they're going to be in a very good spot. You know, because the offense is really the, the bread and butter for this team. This is not like Wake Forest where it's like they have their front line arms the best way, you know, as good as anybody in the country. This is a team where, you know, the pitching is not going to, you know, maybe except for some Matthews, the pitching is not really going to win you a series on its own. That was how they operated in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a team where your offense is going to do it all on its own, like 2022. This is a team that is a balance of both. And it's going to take both the pitching and the offense playing um, you know, most of their best baseball so then they have a chance to Absolutely. And so a question about the confidence that, that Coach Eski has in, in some of those bullpen guys. You know, we, we saw some guys that we really haven't seen that much. Montgomery pieced together a few innings. Nick Dugan arguably saved the season not to mention Ryan Bruno comes in for a save last night. Brant Panzer gives you some good innings in, at various points. Who is going to be coming out of the bullpen right out the gate whenever some of these guys maybe get into trouble or just get the hook late into the game? Where does the confidence stand with some of the various bullpen arms? So, SD being able to go to Matt Scott and Nick Dugan and Brady Montgomery and have them execute well in the last two games, that's huge. It gives them a ton of options. It even makes it so if they get punched in the mouth early, if, you know, Quinn Matthews, for example, has unexpectedly short outing, they can hold the line and keep the Cardinal in the game. Like, it, it cannot be overstated how important it is that not just one of them, but three of them were able to come out and turn in quality innings in big spots. So I think that those guys are going to be much more available and their leashes are going to be a bit longer here in the Super Regions. And then, of course, you're going to see Dowd, Panzer, and Bruno uh, over at the back end. I do think that that is still plan A. But if you could also see situations where it's like, you know, Scott and Nick Dugan piggyback a few innings. Um, you know, maybe three apiece if everything goes well. You could see uh, Drew Dowd coming in as an opener, um, facing down a couple of lefties, and then, you know, give them an interview of work, and then he gets pulled for that Scott and Nick Dugan. It's just a lot of 
But, like, the depth is just so much better than it looked, even in the Pac-12 tournament. So now, if you're Dave Esker, I think, I think you do feel a lot more confident where he pitches after that. That was one of the points of improvement for the tail end of the season. That's really well Stanford, really where Stanford fell short um, in the playoff for last year. Absolutely, Carson. And so we have just time for maybe one more question here. So who is the star player for Stanford in this regional? And, and do they do enough to propel Stanford back to Omaha for the third year in a row? Give us your standout star prediction in individual level and the winner of this series. Who's getting? Who's moving on to Omaha? Uh, I never like to count chickens before before they hatch, so I think that should probably tell you enough about who I'm hoping is going to win. But as for the star player, I do think that I I gotta say Tommy Troy. Like Alberto Rios has been so good this entire year. Um, Carter Graham's been fantastic in the regional, but I mean. Tommy Troy, most of the time playing in the regional, like, is a top 10 draft pick for a reason. Um, and he's just so good at slowing everything down and not letting the moment get the best of him. I do think that if I had to pick one guy, I do think it's going to be Tommy Troy. And I think that, I think that he knows that he is a guy that the Cardinals depend heavily on until this weekend. Absolutely, Carson. Well, thank you for, for that moment and for calling in. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. And, this unfortunately is the the end of our show this year, but excited to see where the rest of this season takes Stanford, and I'm sure we'll we'll have you back on here next year as well. So thanks, Carson. Thanks very much. Oh, and so what a, a nice little treat there to have Carson on the show. Kind of gives you some insight into the intricate layers of Stanford baseball, right there. Totally. I mean, a guy that probably knows this team front and back in and out better than anyone else that isn't you know a member of the team itself hell i i might even say that you might know some stuff better than some guys on the team um but as always carson trail voice of stanford baseball love having him absolutely and so now kind of jumping back to our recap of the year but not recapping but now looking forward to the future Zach, what Stanford team are you most excited to see where they go next year? So biased again, but Stanford men's basketball. I, sweet 16. I'll be the first <laughs> to stand. Calling it on air today, June 6th. We're going to the Sweet 16. Wow. You know, if I if I uh, recall correctly, I think we had a Sweet 16 prediction during the regular season uh, as well. But hey, it's a different team. It's another year. Um, some new faces. You know, we've got some transfers def- certainly saying goodbye to some other faces as well Stanford basketball uh, I'm gonna be excited to see it you know I-, I just feel like every year it is this cycle of uh, high hopes and and perhaps just a tough uh, results base afterwards but I-, I think this year is the year and I've said that the last two years obviously didn't pan out but I'm really liking this one I want this team to be good so badly so badly Stoyakovich and Kanan Carlisle, if you're listening, please come in and be a true five-star. So many of y'all five-stars have let me down in the past. I'm looking at you, Harrison Ingram. I hope y'all don't let me down this year, please. So so is your answer the same? I mean, what team are uh, you? You kind of, you know, to be honest, I thought you were going to say the Arizona game on <laughs> greatest 
performance. So that's kind of why I went on a, a different route. Um, and I kind of figured you would say this. So I would say I'm really excited for football as well. Totally. I think Coach Taylor's offense, people, the average fan doesn't understand how different it's going to be in terms of what it requires defenses to do. And that's not to say that I entirely understand it, but more that we finally won't have three tight ends for 95% of our plays, it feels like. <laughs> so I'm excited to see where football goes. My hopes are still, I, I think this is going to be a tough year. I think it would be a miracle if we made a bowl game, but I'm excited to see kind of the more intangible things, our effort, our scheme, stuff like that. No, sentiment is shared. I mean, as inequitable as it is, football is such a driver of so many things on this campus, energy, excitement, social lives, you know, athletic enthusiasm. Uh, and hey, I think odd years in the fall are much more conducive to a healthy football environment. The more home games, the more excitement. A new coach, I'm excited, man. It's going to be a great time. Absolutely. And so in our final minute or so here, Zach, open mic. What are you excited about personally? What have you learned from the sports? What are your aspirations in terms of of what you'd like to do covering sports next year. For those of you that don't know, not only is he involved in the sports zoo, he's involved in intramurals. He oh. takes quite a few L's on the football field to yours truly. He's involved Oof. with the Stanford Daily, more than involved with the Stanford Daily, I should say. Zach, what are you looking forward to in, in the next year covering sports on the farm? Well, I'll be reminiscing on the uh, IM softball championship we just got uh I believe it was last week. Hit a home run, yours truly. For I didn't play baseball growing up. First career home run in anything ever. Okay, uh, but moving forward, you know, it has been an honor, Jacob. Um, you know, getting live on air, being on mic. For those of you that have never done it, it is it is intimidating. It is tough, but hey, uh, it has been so so much growth, and I'm just welcoming more and more growth with open arms. I want to get outside my comfort zone, plan on continuing to do so, always open to meeting new people. So, hey, if you're a supporter, listener of the zoo, feel free to hit my line. We're so, so grateful for your support. Absolutely. And so don't forget, we are still live on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be back next fall with your weekly renditions of the Sports Zoo. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've got viewer discretion advice coming up next with Chris and Matt. But for one final time this year, stay late, wear red, go card.